right. Well, welcome, everyone. Praise God. Let's pray, and uh, we'll go into a time of encouragement. Uh, Father, I just want to thank you so much that we could all join together uh, digitally here online and just to worship you and to exalt you, God. Um, Lord, we ask that you'd open up our ears and our hearts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What's up, everyone? Is my video frozen? I can't even tell. But uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, my name is Sam. I'm one of the leaders here at Pursuit NYC. And uh, ever since I, I met the good people of Austin, Texas Awakening, we've done an event um, together every single year. Um, and we won't let what's happening stop us. So we decided to do a Night of Hope together online. And uh, so here we are. And um, we're so grateful. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I think I missed worshiping in the context of a band, like a band like that. I didn't know how much I missed it until we all got a chance to worship together. So uh, tonight, I'm just going to share a brief word of encouragement with everyone. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. So I'll give you time to open up your Bible, uh, a web browser smartphone, whatever it is, uh, but we'll be going to Matthew chapter 28, and um, we're living in a new world where I never thought I'll be preaching like this, but here we are. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, and we'll read it to the end. So Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, someone could put it in the comments, uh, that'll be awesome. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw them, had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray real quick, and then uh, we'll get going from there. God, I just want to thank you once again for this time. I thank you, Lord, that we can worship you and come together through technology, through the means that are available to us. We ask that you speak to us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when, when 2020 began, uh, I was looking forward to so many different things. I had a lot of different goals, a lot of different, um, you know, hopes and things like that. And one of the things I was looking forward to most was traveling in 2020. I was looking forward to traveling. I should have been on a mission trip in South America this past week. I was going to go to a conference in Korea in July, then Japan in October, but I'm going to zero conferences except pursuit conference we'll tell you about that later but uh everything has changed everything has pivoted everything has been canceled and i think a lot of the uh things that people have been saying about the world we're living in is how everything is different right the whole world has turned upside down everything is different uh there's a new normal and that's true but there's one thing that hasn't changed and i think it's the human condition one of the things that hasn't changed is the human condition. And part of that human condition is that we're prone to doubt. 
when things don't go our way, when things don't go as we expected or believed or hoped, we tend to doubt. Now, if I'm real, there were moments in my life where, you know, circumstances got difficult, things got hard, uh, things got tough, and I doubted whether God really cared, if God even loved me. But here's what I realized. We're all so prone to doubt even in the face of miracles. I remember at one of our gatherings, you know, every single month we have a night of worship. We gather people together. And I remember one time we had people come and they got supernaturally healed by God. And, and the speaker was, was talking to these girls that just experienced the miracle, got healed. And, and he asked one girl, hey, you know, what are you feeling? He's like, man, I feel so much better. You know, I couldn't bend down. My back got healed. And then he asked the, the, the girl next to her who got healed. And he said, hey, what do you feel? And she says, I feel confused. Right? So even in the face of miracles, we tend to doubt as well. But check this out. According to this passage, we could be face to face with Jesus himself and still doubt. Right? Because the Bible says they show up to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. They're worshiping. But yet even in the midst of that, it says that some doubted. Now, this isn't just any Jesus. This is Jesus fresh out the grave, scars intact, resurrected, you know, kicked death in the butt, Jesus. And yet, even in the midst of that, they find themselves still doubting. So when I read this story, I'm actually pretty encouraged. Right? I'm encouraged that they can see Jesus and still doubt. Now, have you ever prayed, Jesus, if you just show up in my bedroom, then I'll believe. Right? Maybe you're on the Zoom call and you're saying, Jesus, if you just show up right now in the Zoom call and you are in the waiting room right now and you come into this, then I'll believe. But let me tell you something. This passage tells us, nah, you probably still won't believe. Right? Because that's just what it is to be human. We doubt when things don't go our way. We doubt in the face of miracles. We doubt even when we're with Jesus. So if the disciples then doubted, how many of you know then there's grace for our doubt? Somebody type amen right now if God gives you grace for your doubt, right? So the question then is in this passage, why were these disciples doubting in the first place? Like, why are they doubting? There's actually a lot of debate. Some people are saying, oh, it wasn't actually the 11 disciples that were doubting. And then other people are like, but it says 11 in the text, you know, so who else could it be? Then they question why they were doubting. Some of them might be doubting, you know, according to theologians and historians, they say some were doubting, um, you know, Jesus's appearance, you know, perhaps because it didn't fit their current expectation of the end time. It didn't fit what they were hoping for things would look like. You know, some of them thought all the dead were supposed to be raised together and not the Messiah first. Others say that they doubted, but it wasn't their doubt about Jesus as much as it was the state of uncertainty that they were in. They were doubting the recent events that had taken place. They were doubting what might happen next. You know, one historian theologian wrote this, things felt familiar, but different, so they doubted. Now, I feel like that phrase describes 2020, right? Things are so different, yet feels familiar, but everything has changed and we're prone to doubt in the midst of it. Now, here's the thing. When hopes come crashing down, Doubts start to arise. Sometimes the doubt is about us. Man, who was I anyway to go for this job or apply to this school? Man, who, who was I anyways? Or maybe our doubt is about God. Maybe he isn't as good as I thought he was. 
Maybe, about, maybe it's about the direction we're going in. Maybe I shouldn't have gone this way. I mean, regardless of what it is, hope, uh, Proverbs 13 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's a lot of our experiences, especially in the season that we're in. Regardless of what we're doubting or why we're doubting, the truth is in this passage, it says they doubted. Now, I love how this passage, it tells us that their doubt was in the midst of worship. Right? They worshipped, but some doubted. I love it because this tells me that I don't have to wait for my doubt to diminish to worship, but rather as I worship, my doubt starts to diminish. Right? That's what it is. That It doesn't say they doubted, so they didn't worship. But yet in the midst of their doubt, they were still able to worship God. And it's in that place where our faith starts to take overtake our doubts. Sometimes you sing because you believe, and other times you have to sing until you do. Now, the only other time this word of doubt is ever seen in the Bible outside of this passage is found earlier in Matthew in chapter 14, verse 31. And this too was ultimately about worship as well. And in this passage, it's about Peter walking on water. I'm sure all of you guys know it. If you know the story, let me know in the comments. I can't even see the comments though. So just do it so that, you know, I'll feel good that you guys are doing it, right? Although I can't see it, but if you do it. Anyways, Matthew 14 is the story of Jesus. He's walking on water. I'm sure all of you know it. Peter calls out. Peter starts walking on water. He starts drowning. And in that place, Jesus comes to him and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right? But if you look at it, how could he not doubt? He's not walking on like six inches of kiddie pool water. He's literally walking on waves in the middle of a storm. So if I was Peter, I would hold my tongue in that moment. But I'm probably thinking, what do you mean? Why did I doubt? I've never seen anyone do this. I didn't know I could do this a a second ago. There's a storm. I mean, you could have rebuked that at least. And you're asking me why I'm doubting. I mean, the answer is pretty logical. But here's the thing that I noticed about God. He's not after our logic. He's after our faith. Jesus won't say to us, well done or or, well thought, good and faithful servant. Well rationalized, good and faithful servant. But it's well done. Our action is tied to our faith, according to James, right? Our faith is dead without action. So there's something that God is looking for, and I believe it's faith. So that's why I really love how Josh opened up the night talking about faith. I really believe the reason why God has come after people's hope in this season is because the devil ultimately is after our faith. I'll prove it to you. I love Josh's illustration. I can't say it as good as he did to open it. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. In other words, you can't have faith without first having hope because Literally, the definition of faith is rooted in what you're hoping for. And if he goes after your hope, he goes after your faith. And if he goes after your faith, he goes after your love. Why? You can only love God through faith because you have to believe he is who he is. Right? First John, it tells us that multiple times in the Bible. And it's by faith we're loving God. And I believe the enemy wants to take us out. But Jesus is coming to us wanting to resurrect our hope, our faith, and our love. Amen. Somebody type amen. I still can't see it though. Right? Jesus is after our faith because it's impossible to please God without faith. 
Bill Johnson, a pastor in California, says this. We know that our minds have been renewed when the impossible looks logical. That's what he's after for us in this moment. I mean, we could look at all the statistics. We could look at all the facts. We could look at current events. We could look at the news headlines. But what Jesus is after is our faith because ultimately he wants us to think, act, move, and believe like him. Jesus wants us to have hope like he does. So back to this passage real quick in Matthew 14 of Peter walking on water. Did you ever notice that the only person Jesus rebukes in this passage is Peter? I mean, think about it. He doesn't rebuke the other 11 for being in the boat. Because if anyone is being called, oh, you of little faith, I mean, shouldn't it be the ones that are still in the boat dry? But yet he says that to the only one who took a step of faith. Why? Because to whom much has been given, much is required. I'm telling you, friends, it's time that we go from just surviving to shining the light of Jesus. So what does that mean for us today? I believe that translates to this. In this moment in time, in 2020, it means when everyone else in the world has reason to be hopeless, you and I are still called to have hope. right? Because you and I are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. When everyone else is stumbling in darkness, guess whose job it is to still shine? It's us. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have Uh, We can't feel hopeless. We can't have a bad day. We can't struggle with doubt. It just means that he has given us an exit every time we find ourselves there. We no longer have privilege to set up camp in doubt. Right? Psalm 23, they walk through the valley of shadow of death. They don't hang out there. They don't go camping there. You know, they walk through it. And I believe God wants to encourage us tonight to keep walking through because he has hope for us. So the question then is, how do we get our hope back? I think it's found once again in Matthew 28. They worshiped, they doubted. Then Jesus came to him and said, all authority has been given to me. Now, now can I be real for a moment? Jesus comes to people who are doubting, not with the great comfort, but the great commission. Jesus doesn't comfort them in their doubts but yet commissions them to something greater because Jesus meets us where we're at, but it's to pick us up to go where we're meant to go. Hear me. This might sound harsh, but it's the Bible, okay? Grace demands more. Grace demands more from us. I'll prove it to you. In the Old Testament, you sin when you commit adultery. But in the New Testament, You sin when you look lustfully at another person. Everyone write, I sinned in the comments. Just kidding. Don't do it. Don't don't do it, okay? But I'm telling you, the Bible, grace is actually asking more for us. In the Old Testament, you commit sin when you murder. But Jesus says, even if you have hate in your heart for your brother and sister, you killed them. I mean, don't you see it? Grace is actually demanding more from us. Why? The law requires, but grace enables. Grace enables us. That means that the more, the higher that Jesus calls us to, is not setting a standard we can't reach, but that which we can do through his grace, through the Holy Spirit. So that's why even when they're doubting, Jesus comes with the mission, with the purpose. Too often we comfort people in their dysfunction, 
We keep them complacent in their compromises by offering them comfort rather than calling them higher to something greater. So Jesus says this, all authority has been given to me. I mean, if we're doubting, if we're struggling in this moment, if we're bombarded by all the headlines in the news today, take heart. Why? Because all authority has been given to Jesus. Did you know that the word all in Greek means all? Right? Jesus has all authority. If Jesus has all, how much does the enemy have? How much does injustice have? How much does COVID have? How much does the enemy have? Right? Let's say once you know, the COVID-19 vaccine is invented, glory to God, I'm prophesying right now, and I travel to Austin to be with my friends at Awakening, and they said, Pastor Sam, your message at the Night of Hope via Zoom was better than I've heard you in person. And I say, is that a compliment? I don't know. But they say, we want to take you to Franklin's Barbecue. If you're from Texas, let me know. And they take me to Franklin's, and we're waiting in line for three hours. The brisket comes out. And because I've been waiting for so long, I eat all the brisket. If I eat all the brisket, how much does awakening eat? None. In the same way, if Jesus has all authority, no one else has it. But check this out. He gives it to us. It's the authority that he's won, but yet he gives it to us. He reminds us who's in charge, who has already won the victory. In other words, his death, his burial, his resurrection has won it all. I really need to encourage every single person right now that we have to take to heart that the empty grave changes everything. Right? The resurrection isn't just an event in history. It's what all of history hinges upon. That's why we can have hope no matter what comes our way. I want to ask the worship team to start playing, and we'll see if technology you know, is good to us or not in Jesus' name. So Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. After that, he says, go. Now, it's hard to be stuck in doubt when you're in motion. Right, can I say that again? It's hard to be stuck in doubt when you're in motion. Oftentimes, the reason why we end up being bombarded and suffocating is because we just stay still rather than moving forward in our faith. Right, can I ask for the uh, volume to be a little reduced on the guitar or whatever you need to do there? Some of the sickest highlights in sports to me is when the athlete is, is just kicking into instinct and muscle memory. Like they find themselves in a situation or play that they can't think of, they can't prepare for, but yet they just are in motion and it creates this highlight. I think it's the same way with our faith. I've seen too many people get stuck. There's nothing wrong with staying stuck, but they choose to stay there instead of anchoring themselves once again to hope. From there, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. In this moment, Jesus is reminding us of what it's all about, who it's all for, what it all comes down to. Now, the Christian life is costly. It is challenging. But one thing it isn't is it's not boring. It's not boring when you get to partner with the God of the universe and the mission that he has for this world. So he reminds us once again, he has all authority. 
He has victory. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He's telling us to go. Don't stay stuck. Be in motion with your faith. And then he tells us what it's all about. Making disciples. Teaching them what he's taught us to obey. And doing this till the end. And lastly, what does he end it with? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can I tell you something? Even if you're doubting right now, you know who's with you in this moment? Jesus Christ. He's with you always till the end. He's with you always to the end. Some people need to be reminded of that tonight. That the Jesus who conquered sin and death is with us in this pandemic. He's with us in this quarantine. He's with us in this fight for social injustice. He's with us in this very Zoom call. That's the Jesus that we're serving. And he wants to give us hope. If you're doubting, I want you to know you're not alone. Jesus is with you. And I want to read what this hope looks like. Romans chapter 5. How he does it. And I think it speaks to this moment in time. It says, therefore, Romans 5, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I believe that you know, God is obviously not the author of sickness. He's not the author of disaster. He's not the author of injustice. But yet, because he's so good, he uses what the enemy meant for evil for our good. And I believe some of the circumstances we have faced in this time, in this season, so far in 2020, God is turning it around and using it to produce within us perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And it's not a flimsy hope. It's not hope like, man, I hope the girl I like, you know, follows me back on Instagram. It's not a flimsy hope, but a hope that doesn't put us to shame. It's the hope that Abraham had when he waited a hundred years waiting for the promise of God. And that's what this hope is. And this hope, how does it function in our lives? You can see it in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. It says, we have this hope. As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. This hope that God is producing within us, the hope that God wants to instill within us, is a hope that acts as an anchor to our soul. Right? It's our anchor because God is good. He's already won the victory. He keeps his promises. Hoping in the New Testament isn't a wishful thinking once again. It's actually rooted in certainty. Like the word itself is rooted in certainty. That's our hope that God hasn't failed anyone and he won't start with me. He won't start with you. That's why we have hope. But here's the thing about an anchor. The anchor does its best work when it's not seen. I mean, if you're in the middle of a storm and you're in a boat, you don't want to clutch the anchor and be like, look at it. You want that thing to be buried in the dark waves of the sea or whatever. It does its best work when it's not seen. 
Some of you guys feel like you've been struggling. You've, you've been going through all these different things. But can I tell you this? The reason why you're still here, the reason why you're even in the Zoom meeting right now is because that anchor is doing its job. The anchor is doing its job. Sometimes we overcome the storm by rebuking it in Jesus' name. And other times we overcome the storm by outlasting it with this anchor of hope. I don't know about you, but I'm outlasting every storm that comes my way, either by a word of faith or by my hope as an anchor. I want to encourage every single person right now that God is with you, that the whole world has changed. Everything might be different, a new normal, but you know what hasn't changed? The mission, the purpose. The Great Commission hasn't changed. God's not calling an audible, calling a huddle right now with the angels and be like, yo, maybe we should rethink the Great Commission. No, I think this mission is more important than ever before because I'll tell you what's on the other side of this moment in time is a harvest. It's when the Great Commission will be at play. And I'm telling you this right now, the people who have the most hope will have the most influence. That's why he wants to prepare us right now, because the one who always has the most hope will always have the most influence. And because the mission hasn't changed, because the purpose hasn't changed, because the, what heaven is after hasn't changed, he needs us to be ready in this moment, have the anchor strong and steady and firm so that we could partner with God beyond this moment, beyond the struggle, beyond the panic, whatever it might be. God is preparing us for the other side of this moment in time. It's not over yet. You might be tossed right now in the middle of the storm, but I need you to believe and confess with your lips right now, I'm not going down. But write it in the comments. I'm not going down. No matter what storm comes my way, I'm not going down because I have hope as an anchor to my soul. So let's pray right now. Every single person, I want to encourage every single one of you to unmute. And we're just going to pray right now. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, we're simply going to ask the God of hope to meet us right now in this moment. We're going to be honest. We're going to confess the areas where we've been doubting. And we're going to ask Jesus to meet us. We need the fresh encounter with Jesus, the one who has conquered it all and who's with us always. So come on, let's pray right now. Father God, we just come to you together in one voice. We thank you, God, that you are the God of hope. And even right now in the midst of our doubts, no matter what storms we might be facing, no matter what we're going through.